Good morning, everyone. Uh, So if you wouldn't mind bowing your head with me and let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this congregation. I want to thank you for all of these people that I'm getting to meet today, Um, all of these people that I'm getting to learn from and get to hear their stories. Uh, And God, we've come to celebrate the great story of how you loved us and you saved us uh, and you invite us to know you more. And so God, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide everyone in here to greater understanding of your love for them. And God, I pray that we would know uh, the height and depth and width of your love and know that nothing is greater than it. So it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. So, growing up around the age of five, I had no idea about anything at all with sports. So sports was something that my classmates in kindergarten may have known about. I actually remember going to kindergarten one day, and all my classmates were dressed up in Dallas Cowboys clothes, and a lot of them had stars painted on their face, and I thought, I didn't get the memo about this. I don't know what happened, why everybody's dressed this way. Now that I'm older, I can put two and two together and say, oh, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl the day before. So that's why they were all dressed up in Cowboys gear. But I I didn't know anything about the Cowboys. I didn't know anything about sports at all. That was another world that I didn't exist in. I'd never been invited to. And so I had no idea what was going on in it. But eventually when I was seven years old, my mom told me, hey, you should try and play baseball at the YMCA. And I thought, well, I don't know if that's how I want to be spending my free time is playing a game that I don't even understand or know. But I was invited to play it, so I thought, okay, let's just give it a shot. I'll play it. And so I remember going with my family to buy my baseball glove. I was all excited. I was all excited when we bought the baseball, but I wasn't excited when I held the glove out and the baseball <laughs> hit me in the face. I wasn't excited when I threw the ball back and it went two feet in front of me, that was pretty discouraging. So my thought was, I just should quit. I should just give up baseball. But I was encouraged to just just try it. Just give it a try. So, okay, I'll give it a try. So I played baseball that season. I wasn't that great at it, but it was fun to get to have friends to play baseball with. I got to learn the sport more. And I eventually became almost obsessive about baseball. I would watch the Rangers every night on TV because that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like these professional players that were so good at what I wanted to be good at. And a little bit later, a couple of years after that, we moved from machine pitch baseball to actual pitching. So we were all invited to come and try to be the pitcher for the team. And so everybody was just throwing as hard as they could and the balls were going over the backstop, and my strategy was a little bit different. I decided I'm just going to slowly just make sure that I'm accurate. I can just throw it slow, and once I'm consistently accurate, then I can start throwing it faster and faster, and that's what I did, and eventually I got really good at it, and I became the team's pitcher, and I became obsessed with finding out how to be a better pitcher, and eventually I stopped playing baseball once Little League days were over, but... I started playing other sports like basketball and soccer. As I got into high school, I played football too. And I even became the uh, sports editor for my school newspaper. And so today, I don't write about sports anymore. 
I don't play in any leagues anymore, but sports is still a huge part of my life. It's still something that entertains me. It's a way for me to connect with my friends. It's something I watch with my family. It's something that I keep up with every day. But it all started with an invitation when I was seven years old. Someone just said, hey, come and, come and give this a try. Just come and see how you like it. They didn't drag me screaming to the baseball field. They just said, hey, come and, come and see and give it a try. And so I did. And our passage for today is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. So John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And so, it, I don't know what yours is uh, titled, but in my Bible it's titled, Jesus Calls Philip and Nathaniel. So, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, Nathaniel received an invitation that day to come and meet Jesus. And so, what happens when we are invited to come and meet Jesus? The first thing that I believe that happens when we are invited to come and meet Jesus and we accept this invitation is that we learn that he knows us, and we learn that he loves us. I think it's interesting that Nathaniel came to Jesus expecting to interview Jesus for the rabbi position. He came to interview Jesus even for maybe the Messiah position in his life because Philip comes and tells him, hey, I found the one that the whole scripture is pointing to, the law, the prophets are all pointing to this guy. Oh, who could this possibly be, thinks Nathaniel. This guy has to be from Jerusalem. He has to be from a big city. No, he's from Nazareth. What? Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth has less than 2,000 people living in it. How can this Messiah, this anointed one, be from Nazareth? Uh, good try, Philip, but I think you might be wrong about this Jesus guy. I mean, you said his... Dad is Joseph. I know Joseph and Mary. They're just regular people like me. How could 
the Messiah come from them? How could the Messiah come from Nazareth? Sorry, I think you're wrong, Philip. Well, the interesting thing is Philip argues with him and he says, no, you're wrong. You have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Except he doesn't. He says, come and see. And so he says, okay, I'll give it a try. I'll come and see this Jesus. I'll give him a chance. And so I think it's interesting. I picture Nathaniel in his mind. He's picturing himself in his office. Jesus is waiting outside, outside the door. The secretary says, come in, Jesus. Nathaniel's ready to see you. And Jesus is thinking, oh, I hope I don't mess up this interview. I hope, I hope Nathaniel lets me be his rabbi. I hope he becomes my, Messiah, my disciple. But that's what Nathaniel's thinking is going to happen. Nathaniel thinks he's about to interview Jesus for the Messiah position. What Nathaniel does not realize is that he's actually about to meet his creator. And so when Nathaniel comes up to Jesus, we think he's going to say, all right, Jesus, you can sit down now. I have some questions for you. But no, Jesus starts the interview. He doesn't even make it an interview. He just says, this is who you are. In the previous passage, we didn't read over it, but Jesus told Simon, you are Cephas, which means rock. He named him Peter, and now he's telling Nathaniel who he is. You are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And so right out of the gate, Jesus, rather than answering questions and trying to do a good job on this interview, Jesus just tells him, I know who you are and who you could be. And it's interesting because Nathaniel just has one question, and it has nothing to do with being a Messiah. It has nothing to do with being a teacher. It's just, how do you know me? And so Jesus doesn't just tell him, I know some information about you. He says, before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And at that point, almost comically, it's almost funny when you read it. Just a couple verses ago, Nathaniel was saying, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. But now, he's saying, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so, he has no more questions after that. He's already decided who Jesus is. And it reminds me of a great quote by C.S. Lewis. I want to share it with you. He says, I know now, Lord, while you utter no answer, you are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? And so he comes to Jesus to ask him questions, but he finds out that Jesus is the answer to all of his questions. And so Jesus' response to Nathaniel shows us two things about Jesus. One is that he knows us, but the other thing is that he loves us. If you, met, if you talk to somebody that you barely know, would they be able to tell you intimate details about your life? No, that's what family and close friends do. They come and say, oh, let me tell you a story about so-and-so. Oh, back when he was this age, he did... You name it. We've all been there to where we're with somebody we're close to and they can tell other people what we've done, stories about us. Apparently, Nathaniel thought he was alone under that fig tree. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing. Maybe he was praying, but he just thought, this is between me and God. But apparently, it was between him and Jesus too. So what does that say about Jesus 
to Nathaniel. Wow, this guy must have a connection to God. This guy must be important. If he saw what only God can see, that might point to him having a certain type of relationship to the God that I was speaking with. But I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just tell him information. He does give him information as in, you are a true Israelite. But then he says, in whom there is no deceit. All of this shows that Jesus already knows Nathaniel. He's proactive in knowing Nathaniel. He's known Nathaniel since before Nathaniel knew him. What does this show me? It shows me that Jesus cares about Nathaniel. Nathaniel, it's one thing for somebody to know your name. It's one thing for somebody uh, to be acquainted with you. But it's another thing totally for somebody to know intimate details about your life. And Jesus knows those things about us. And he knew those things about Nathaniel. And so Nathaniel always sold, not just because Jesus knew him, but because Jesus cared about him. And I think a great way um, to think about this is something that Timothy Keller said. I think it's a great way uh, to view how we see Jesus. He says, To be loved but not known is superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved That is our greatest hope. So it's one thing to know that you're loved, but if somebody doesn't know you, they just say, I love you, ah, that just seems kind of fake. But if somebody says, I know you, and yet I still don't love you, that is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that is our greatest hope. And you know what? Nathaniel realized that his greatest hope was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus really knew him and he really fully loved him. And so when we are introduced to Jesus, that's one thing that we learn that Jesus loves us and he knows us. Another thing that happens once we are invited to meet Jesus and when we decide to follow Jesus is that the invitations don't stop there. We think, oh, it's all about coming to be invited to know Jesus. And then that's the end. But really for Nathaniel, that's the beginning of the story. That's where it starts. And it's interesting because he's made it obvious that he wants to follow Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? This is really probably the strangest part of the passage. Let's look at it again. Um, It is in verse 50. So Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What in the world is that about? What is Jesus saying when he says, You will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? I don't remember the Bible passage where angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And if it happened, they sure didn't put it in this Bible. Well, maybe he's not talking about something literal. Maybe he's referring to something that somebody that was that grew up in the Jewish culture would understand. So if you look at Genesis 28, you learn the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder. So what's happening in Genesis 28? Jacob, he is on the run from his brother Esau because... He tricked Esau out of his birthright. 
So Esau said, I'm going to kill Jacob. So naturally, Jacob said, well, I'm getting out of here if you're going to kill me. So Jacob runs away from home. And when Jacob is laying down one night, he has a dream. And in that dream, there's a ladder going all the way up to heaven. And there's angels descending on it and ascending up it into heaven. And what Jacob hears in that dream is God. And God says, I will bring you back to this place safely. I will bless your offspring and I will always be with you. So when Jesus says you, and not just you, the Greek for you and this is plural. So you and the rest of the disciples will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the new and the greater version of Jacob's ladder. I am the physical embodiment of Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder was where we saw heaven connecting to earth. That's where we saw God coming to meet man. It's where Jacob realized God is with me. And what does Jacob say after this dream? He says, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. Don't you think Nathaniel might be able to say that? Surely God was standing right in front of me and I did not know it. And what does Jacob say after he has this dream? He says, this is the house of God. He makes a monument and he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. And later on, they would have worship center or worship place there in Bethel. And so people would associate that place with worshiping God. And so Jesus isn't just saying, oh, angels are going to come down and descend on me and ascend. He's saying, I am the point of connection between you and God. Because when we see Jesus, we see God in the flesh. When we see Jesus, we have our closest way of seeing God ever. If you want to know what God looks like, just look at Jesus, and that's how you'll know who God is. Jesus is God showing us who he is. And so he, Jesus is saying, oh, you thought it was great just that I told you that I saw you on a fig tree. Wait until you see that I am one with the Father and that the Father has come down to save you. And so we don't know how much Nathaniel understood about what the Messiah is, but he's going to learn more. And Jesus is saying, you're going to see greater things than these. Get ready. You know, buckle yourself up because we're going for a pretty crazy ride and you're going to see some, a lot crazier things than what you just saw today. And so Jesus gives another invitation to Nathaniel. And he's already given it to him, you could say, oh, well, he didn't really invite Nathaniel. He invited Philip. But that's what God does, doesn't he? He works through us to invite other people. So Philip didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm ready to be a disciple. And Jesus didn't say, who's this guy? Nathaniel, he wasn't invited. No, he, he worked through Philip to invite Nathaniel to be a disciple And so we receive more and more invitations, but we also are able to give invitations on behalf of God for people to come and meet Jesus. I think it's interesting that as Christians, uh, we still receive invitations. We get invitations to try it Jesus' way, which I'll just call the Jesus way. We get invitations to follow the Jesus way all the time, especially when we're tempted to sin. Because if you think about that, of course God doesn't tempt us to sin. But sin 
when we are tempted into it, it's an opportunity to either say, I'm the Lord of my life, or Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's an invitation to follow Jesus rather than our own way. And so, sometimes I think we expect, I have to be a master of Christianity to obey God. I have to do everything perfect. But I think it's interesting that Philip said, just come and see. Come and see that Jesus' way is better. And so I think that's an important thing for us when we are tempted to go in a way that is against Jesus. It's important to tell ourselves, just try it. Just try it the Jesus way. I'll give you an example. If you have somebody that you're just totally jealous of, and you know that jealousy isn't good for your life, but oh, you just I hate this person. I, I don't want anything good to work out for them. I want everything good to work out for me, but I want this person to just have failure. I don't like this person. I'm jealous of all the good things they have. Just try it, try it the Jesus way. Just say, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to try being happy for this person. I'm just going to try celebrating this person's success. I'm just going to try being there for this person. And the other way, our way, kind of shuts us off from that person. It closes us off from loving that person and knowing them. And in some ways, it closes them off from us inviting them to know more about Jesus. But when we are tempted and we say, I'm just going to try it the Jesus way. And that used to kind of irritate me, to be honest, when people would say, oh, you're not a believer in Christ, just, just give it a try. I would think, no, you have to give all of yourself to Christ or nothing. But that's not what Philip said. Philip said, come and see. And so, of course, you want to grow in Christ. Of course, you want to grow to where you are saying along with Nathaniel, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. There's no turning back. Like the hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Of course, we want to get there. But it's important to just come and see. We think Jesus' commandments are just there for us to follow just because we have to. But they're there because we get to follow Jesus. We get to follow the Messiah, the Son of God. And when we follow His ways, when we just try His ways, we learn that His ways are so much better for our life than we thought our ways were. We kind of feel like I'm the president. Jesus is in the cabinet. Jesus, you can kind of advise me on my life. But the problem with that is that Jesus is a much better Lord for your life than you could ever be. And so the invitations don't just stop once you are invited to follow Jesus. They keep going on and on throughout your entire life to come and know Jesus more, to come and see how good he is, to come and see the good that he has for you and to come and see how much he knows you and how much he loves you. But I have to wonder, what did Nathaniel think when he saw this Jesus on the cross? Let's put ourselves in Nathaniel's shoes for a little bit. Jesus said, you and the disciples, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But all I see is Jesus hanging on a cross, which is considered the most shameful way to die in our culture. What happened? Why is Jesus on the cross? I imagine he's asking himself the same question he asked those years ago. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now he's asking can anything good come out of this crucifixion? Well, we know that something good, the greatest thing ever, did come out of that crucifixion. And sometimes the Jesus way is going to feel like that. Can anything good come out of this? But we know that the ultimate good comes out of 
the Jesus way of following Jesus. And we know that because Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And I remember asking one of my professors one time, hey, Jesus healed people from death. You know, he took Lazarus and he healed him. So why does the Bible say that Jesus was the first one to be resurrected if Lazarus was resurrected too? And he was nice enough to explain to me, well, Lazarus was resuscitated, but Lazarus was going to die again. Jesus, on the other hand, he would never die again. He was raised up into life, never to die again. And that means that Jesus defeated death. He's the first of all of us to go into eternal life. Because of Jesus, we don't have to worry about the ways of death. We don't have to worry about life anymore because we have life in Christ and we don't have to wait till we die. Like Nathaniel, we can follow Jesus right now. And we follow Jesus not just to the cross. I think that's what scares us because we just think following Jesus is all about going to the cross. But following Jesus also means following him out of that open tomb into daylight and into life eternal. And so we are invited not just to follow Jesus, but we are invited into resurrection. We are invited into resurrection life. Jesus showed us that he is the way and the truth and the life. And we get to follow him into all of those things. Uh, Jesus instructs us to put our faith in him, believe in him, believe that he's defeated death, believe that he has put all of our sins and nailed them to the cross with him, and they died forever with him. And he was resurrected to eternal life. And rather than the sins that we saw on the cross, now we see ourselves in the Jesus raised into eternal life. And so remember that you are invited not just to become a follower of Jesus, but to follow Jesus day after day, to trust and obedience and to find the joy and the goodness that comes along with that. And yeah, there's going to be some crosses and we're going to have to lay our lives down and follow him, but God's going to help us with that. It's not all on us. You know, Nathaniel might have thought that God just watches him like we watch TV, but when he met Jesus, he realized that God comes down in flesh to save us. And Jesus said, if I leave, my Holy Spirit will come and guide you in all truth and righteousness. And so we are invited to follow the Holy Spirit as he guides us into the life that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for coming in the form of not just a man, but a servant named Jesus. And God, you came down and you deserved to sit on a throne, but you went up on a cross, dear God. And we put you there by our sin. We nailed you there by our sin. It was our sin that held you on the cross, dear God. But even on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So God, I thank you that even though we were once your enemies, you have called us your friends. You invited us like you invited Philip, like you invited Nathaniel, like you invited Peter and all of the disciples to come and see that you are the true Jacob's ladder. You are the point of connection between us and God. You are where heaven meets earth and God. We love you so much, but only because we know how much you love us. And it's one thing, God, to know in our heads 
that you came down to save us. But it's another thing to know in our hearts that you love us and that even if each of us was the only person to be alive, you still would have gone to the cross for us. That changes our hearts. That makes us so grateful. And that makes us realize we don't have to live to be good enough to be saved by you. But because we are saved by you, we want to obey you. We want to trust you. We want to live for you because we're so thankful for who you are. We love you, God, and I pray that everyone in this congregation would have this message on their hearts as they're tempted to just give the Jesus way a try. And God, we know once we give your way a try that it actually is the best way for us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.